This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Cactus League Report. Going, going, goodbye baseball. On 710 ESPN Seattle. 710sports.com and the 710 Seattle app. What a night for Marco Gonzalez. Now, the Cactus League Report. Welcome inside the Cactus League Report. It is that time of the week. Glad, as always, you're with us. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill. And, Gary, as usual, man, we bring a lot of fantastic guests to the Cactus League Report tonight. I'm looking forward to, man, hearing from Julio Rodriguez, who still has uh, the best memory of spring training with his home run and surprise last week. I mean, that's that thing is amazing. It just lives <laughs> in my mind. It was so fun to see just a unique home run, no matter if we're talking spring or Regular season or in someone's backyard, it doesn't matter. That thing was ridiculous. We're going to hear from Julio, which is great. Shannon has a really fun conversation with him. We also had a chance to catch up with Mariners reliever Casey Sadler and now Northwest resident Casey Sadler, eager to talk to him about his journey. Uh, Mariners general manager Jerry Depoto will join us on the Cactus League Report at the end of the program tonight. But right now, we hand things over to Rick Riz, a conversation he recently had with Trent Blank, Mariners bullpen coach and director of pitching strategy. Well, a chance to sit down and talk some baseball with Mariners bullpen coach and the director of pitching strategy. He's been with uh, the big league club for two years with the organization for three talking about uh, baseball with uh, Trent Blank. Trent, uh, thanks a lot for joining us, buddy. Thanks for having me. It's great to uh, sit down and talk a little baseball with you. Let's find out a little bit about uh, Trent Blank. You were born in St. Louis. Grew up in Columbia, Illinois. Now, I'm from Chicago, but I'm not sure where Uh-oh. Columbia is. Uh-oh. Uh, what was life like growing up in Columbia, and when did you fall in love with the game of baseball? So Columbia is a small town just outside of St. Louis. Um, I wouldn't say it's a farming town, but kind of a small community, about 10,000 people. But I think the thing that stands out about Columbia is it's just a, a town that loves baseball. And I think my, my dad was, he played a little bit professionally and there's a, there's actually a league in that, that town and around that community that I kind of grew up in. And that's where I kind of, that's where love of baseball came from. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, I was, I'm very grateful. Like I, I love my hometown. I wish I could get back more often, but it's tough times right now. Well, Trent, you're drafted by the Colorado Rockies and you begin your professional career up in the Pacific Northwest. In 2012, you're at Tri-Cities. You have a great year working out of the bullpen. So what was that like uh, for you growing up, uh, you know, in professional baseball now up in Tri-Cities? Yeah, I'll tell you, I was just grateful for the opportunity. Um, I I felt like I was fortunate. I didn't have really – I had – my first three years at Baylor were not very good. I I was very lucky to have one year that got me enough exposure, and the Rockies took a chance on me. And I think it was – it was everything I wanted it to be just, just kind of this opportunity to continue doing the thing I love. And uh, I think it also plays a part in how I, I'm able to handle the day to day. Now um, I, there's little things that I think I took from uh, my playing career. And um, it's, I feel like it just, it helps to have that experience of just 
knowing what it's like to grind through minor league baseball a little bit. Well, two years later, uh, Trent, you're in uh, Asheville, and you had a great year there. You were 5-0 and with a 2-4 ADRA, 40 ball games. You had four saves. You didn't walk anybody. You struck out a lot of guys. You had, a, I think, a 5-1 to one ratio of strikeouts to walks. But what happened after that season? Um, I'll tell you what. I, I was a – like I said, I was grateful to be able to play as long as I did. Um, but I was 25, and I started to notice some of the other <laughs> birthdays on the rosters, and um, it was – it seemed like I was maybe preying on some younger, some younger guys, but yeah, it, it was, I had a couple injuries that I think were piling up. And then also I had a girlfriend that was uh, <laughs> a little pressure on me. So <laughs> I decided to hang it up and uh, it, it, it was one of those things. Like I said, I was, I was always grateful to, to play the game, but I do think I, I was more interested in life after baseball, um, including like a coaching career or, and also just, being able to spend more time with my girlfriend, now wife. So there you go. It all worked out just great then. Yes. Yes. Hey, from there you go, you're the director of player development at Dallas Baptist university. And then uh, your four years at TMI sports medicine as a baseball performance specialist. How did your journey get you from there to the Seattle Mariners organization? Yeah. Um, I think it actually goes back to where we started in Columbia, Illinois. Um, Brian DeLunis was actually my coach in, in St. Louis and he, he actually had a home in Columbia. So he knew my parents, knew my family and TMI sports medicine was very similar to P3, the place that he was running. So we just kept in touch. And I also think just adding the addition of Brian plus Andy McKay was my middle skills coach with the Colorado Rockies. So I think a combination of my experiences plus the people I know and just really just extremely grateful like for my Dallas Baptist experience as well because that that's a great group of people and I think that that kind of sums it up I've been around great people I've had great resources and kind of led me to where I'm at now yeah those are two definitely great guys uh, to be associated with Andy McKay's done a great job here and also Brian DeLunis Uh, now you're the bullpen coach Uh, what was that experience like for you last year your first year in the big leagues to try and stay healthy get through a um a truncated 60 game season. You guys did it. You had a heck of a season in the second half of the year where you're 19 and 14 and you're in the big leagues for the first time. What can you tell us about the 2020 season for you as the bullpen coach and the pitching strategist? Yeah, it was extremely grateful. Um, when Jerry gave me the call, I was, I was a little unsure of myself. I wasn't sure if I was quite ready for that opportunity, but um, what's great about the Mariners is the people and then the resources that they're, they're able to provide us with. And like I said, it, it's, it, it really made the transition pretty easy. And I'm also grateful for just kind of like the, the shortened season, kind of like a stepping stone to where we're at now. Um, but yeah, it, navigating through COVID protocols and um, just kind of working our way through that. I think it was a, I don't want to say it was a fun way to do it, but it it does seem like uh, it was a nice way for a slow transition for myself. Visited with uh, Trent Blank, uh, Mariners uh, bullpen coach, also the director of pitching strategy. Can you tell us what your responsibilities are as a pitching strategist, uh, Trent? (laughs) Yeah, this is, it's always a kind of a tough question. It kind of evolves with where we're at as an organization, but I think the best answer I can give is we're just trying to improve uh, the conversations we're having with players and the conversations we're having about players. Um, 
so really just trying to trying to create really effective um, processes and systems that support our our messaging and um, being able to just support the coach wherever he's at. Um, it's it's a unique position and um, it's it's it really is trying to connect as many departments as you can, but making sure the message between each department is the same and consistent and clear, so the player can actually apply it on the field. What's what's that common denominator for the message when you have forty five different pitchers uh, in a big league camp? Um, I'd say the the common de- denominator for us is our our main philosophy of dominating the zone, mm-hmm. um, and for us that's. Uh, that's really our ability to control the count. And what we really like to make it down to is uh, making sure that the player knows that that's a general philosophy for a pitcher, but there is definitely a lot of different ways to do it. And so our main job is just to take the information we have and make it really clear for those guys to know what they're doing in certain counts with certain pitches and um, deliver that, that information in an effective way that they're able to apply it day in, day out. How often, Trent, uh, as uh, the bullpen coach and the pitching strategist, do you take a look at those numbers and and how much can you give a young pitcher so they can utilize that information pretty much on a daily daily basis to make them better? Yeah, I mean, the information is available on every player. Um, I think finding finding the right way to deliver that message and meet the player where they're at is is kind of where it gaining those relationships, having those conversations with guys, um, understanding who they are and what, what their value system is. That that's kind of the, that's the, the nuance in all this. And I feel like we've done a good job of just kind of relying on, um, relying on whoever it may be to deliver that message. We've done, the other thing we've done this year is we've really involved a lot more groups. We've, we started talking, like our hitting coaches are involved in our pitching meetings, our catchers are involved in our pitching meetings and our middle skills coaches. So everybody is really on the same page and it's been, it's been really efficient and really effective so far. You know, from Marco Gonzalez and James Paxton to guys here that have just signed their first pro contract, Trent, uh, what's it like working with this group of uh, young pitchers and also the veteran guys that are here as well to help out those young pitchers? Yeah, we've, we've been trying to find and create as many different ways that we can get our older pitchers, whether it be Graveman in the bullpen or Marco with the starters, to really bring up our young guys and um, help them understand how to manage the day-to-day and all the information and all the other outside um, noise that kind of comes into the game. And those guys, like, there's a lot of communication between um, all our groups and it's it's really been flowing nice this year. Like I said, I, I'm not sure what it looked like last year, but I feel really confident about how, like just letting letting Graveman take a young guy under his wing and, yeah. and kind of just deliver whatever message he feels appropriate. As the bullpen coach, what would you like to tell the fans in Seattle before the club leaves camp about this 2021 ball club? Because I don't know if I've been this excited about getting to spring training than I have in many, many years seeing this uh, group of talented young players. I'll tell you what, like, I think I've been, the way I've been describing is we're going to be sneaky good. I, I don't know if everybody sees what we're seeing on a daily basis. And I understand there's, there's information out there that might say otherwise, but it, it is, we're, we're going to be sneaky good. It's going to be fun to watch. And 
I'm looking forward to just seeing all of them. Well, thank you, Rick, and thank you, Trent, as well. It is great to hear from the Mariners' bullpen coach, Trent Blank, also the Mariners' director of pitching strategy. Uh, great to have him in the fold once again this year for the Mariners. When we come back on the Cactus League Report, we will hear from one of the brightest young stars in the game, Shannon Dreyer's conversation with Julio Rodriguez. J-Rod joins us right after this timeout. Now back to the Cactus League Report, live from Mariners Spring Training in Arizona. Welcome back inside the Cactus League Report. We are taking you to first pitch. Mariners tonight and the Chicago Cubs from inside the Peoria Sports Complex under the lights. As right now we hand things over to Shannon Dreyer, her fun conversation with the one and only Julio Rodriguez. Last year when your season just gets obliterated and then you get hurt, how did you get through that? I mean, to be honest, I'm... A, I'm I can say I'm a tough guy, to be honest. And uh, it was just, in, in, in some part, I didn't, you know, it, it was not minor league season for us. I kind of like took it like in that way. I like, I put a lot of work in my body because I couldn't do anything. The, the, the main thing, the, the main focus was putting a lot of work in my body. So that was, that was basically like, that was, that was the point that I realized that I, that I had to put work on my body and like my speed and all that. Mm-hmm. So it just, since I, I got down from the, from it, like I had no motivation to uh, to keep driving myself to be better and to go to that next level. You know, a lot of guys did that. Those that couldn't play, you don't usually get a full year to just take care of this. Yeah. And it looked like there were a lot of guys that that actually benefited. Yeah. Like I I, I can say that I was one of them because I, I mean I was hurt. I didn't. It was nothing else I could have done. So I was. I, I'm grateful that I had that right mentality and mm-hmm. like. I should put the work in. What's your clock in your head? Are you a guy that I gotta hurry, I gotta hurry, I gotta hurry, or are you a guy that I've gotta experience it while I am in the moment? I, I mean, I always try to live the moment. To be honest, I always try to enjoy the moment, enjoy every single step I'm taking. And like, I'm even by being here in practice, I always try to enjoy every single stage of my life because it's just like life is a joy. To be honest, you gotta enjoy it. You gotta have fun everywhere. And just, that's just how I take it every, every single time. What was the process like getting back into games? You go down to instructional league, and now all of a sudden you got to get your eyes back, you got to get your feel back, your timing back. How did that work? I mean, it was actually pretty good, to be honest. It was better and quicker than what I expected it. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing the instructional league, once I went to DR and experienced like a lot of high competition, I was like, okay, I got to work it soon. So. so that's whenever, like, it got like a little tougher for me, mm-hmm. but I was I was grateful. I, I, I had to experience that like different ball game, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it was pretty. It was it was tough out there, but <laughs> yeah, then I came back and now now we're rolling. All right, let's talk about that a little bit. Playing close to home, what was that experience? Did, were they how many fans were they allowed? Were they I mean, allowed no, fans? there were there were no, no fans, fans allowed. Oh. But like, at least my family was able to watch me every single game yeah. on TV. So it was great, man. It was it was it was great. Great opportunity. Mm. It was a great opportunity. I was, I was, I was grateful that I, uh, I played with, in front of my family. And, like they always watch me play every single time, so it was great. Now, when you went over there, I'm thinking he's gonna be one of the young guys there. You know, I don't know if people understood that, but you were going to be one of the young guys. What was it like? And there's a, there a couple other young guys in that clubhouse yeah. too. What was it like to be one of those guys? It was great to be honest, and I learned a lot. There was a lot of old guys out there, like veteran players. It was, it was just great. Like by being the young guy, I was like. I open for everything, like just trying to look for knowledge, like to get better. That was my main thing of going there. Um, 
You talked about Fernando Rodney was one of the guys. Yeah. And he was one of my favorites. He's kind of a quiet guy, but he's got a big heart. Yeah, he's a great, awesome guy. Game. He's an awesome guy. Yeah. What did you learn from Fernando? I mean, it's just like the way that you got to play the game. Like, you, this, you got to love it. Like, if you don't actually love it from the bottom of your heart, you're not going to, you're not going to be good at this, at this game. That's how, that's, that's how I feel like he, had, he, he told me he had played so long because he loved the game, he loved what he does, and like he just loved showing up every day, just putting the work in and get better. Even at, at his age, he was always like one of the first guys out there. I was like working hard, you see him like always like doing something. So it was pretty cool to see him, somebody that at that age that had played for so long with the same motivation. Mm. A fun guy, too. Yeah, he's a really fun guy. He's, <laughs> he's amazing. <laughs> Um, who else did you learn from there? Uh, competition. The high level of competition about playing for a championship. Mm -hmm. Like, I should play a real ball, not a development ball. It was great to me, like, just by playing there. It just, like, it got me, it got me a little taste of what the big league school could look like, like, whenever I get a chance to be there. And, like, I'm really, like, prepared for it, like, mentally-wise, because, as I said, you play in the minor leagues, you play for development, like, you actually don't play to win. Mm -hmm. Out there, you actually had to play to win. Like you face guys that they trying, they they have the same goal as you, not to get better. They just like to win. Mm -hmm. So whenever you play to win, like you play harder, you play mm -hmm. with your heart. Like you just like it's a whole different ball game whenever you play like that. I I, I didn't realize until I played there. Is that something you can bring to a team here? What do you say? Is that something you can bring to a team here? Of course. I mean, we hear all of about course. your 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 attitude and your joy and everything else. Of course. I mean, I'm always to be honest. I always play to win. Like. I didn't really mind, like, if I was going off for four or whatever, like, as long as I could make it, like, good plays in the outfield, like, help the teams win, that was the only thing that mattered to me. But, like, they showed me what it actually is. Mm. So that was a great experience to me out there. Mm. Right now, it's been your progression in spring training has been fun to watch. It's like, it took a little bit to get going, and the next thing you see, you see really good plate appearances. Mm -hmm. And you see some walks, and you see hard contact, and... Then you see the reward yeah. last night. What do you want to take from what you're doing right now into your season? I mean, I'm trying to take everything to be honest. Like, I just, I just doing what I actually know how to do. Like, know what to do. Like, I know what to do. Like, I'm a good hater, and like, I'm actually putting it into work. I'm actually like, like making the effort. Like, I be disciplined and like commit myself to my plan. If it's not in my in my zone, like, I'm not gonna swing. Like, I remember like two days ago. I got called on a strike. It was a great pitch by the pitch. I was like, okay, I'm going to tip your hat. It was not my pitch. It was your pitch. Good for you. But, like, deep down, I was, I was good myself because, like, I'm, I have been putting, like, a lot of work in my discipline, my swing decision, and all that. It's, it's actually showing up. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love that. I'm, not, I'm trying to take everything. I'm trying to keep doing the same thing every single day. Trying to put the work in. I might not get the same results every single day, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to put the effort to make the best I can every single day. Who's helped you with the swing decisions or what has helped you with that? To be honest, everybody talked to me about it, like even in the past. I learned it in the art too. If I don't if I don't swing at the right pitches, like I'm not gonna be successful. They have said it, but like I should there they 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 show me a lot of breaking balls on the dirt, like a lot of changes low, a lot of a lot of a lot of off pitches to me. Mm -hmm. So if I, I was swinging on it a lot. So that was something that I during the offseason too I work on it a lot. And like everybody here, just like trying to push me, kind of push me to be, to be better, and like mm -hmm. that's something that I, now I'm able to like to take some reward for it. Who do you like to watch as far as your teammates go down here? I mean, I like I like to watch everybody. There's a lot of great guys here. There's a lot of great guys. Kyle Lewis, like Murphy, 
five friends. Let's talk about that guy. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about that guy. That guy's real. Let me tell you that every single time, like, the, the thing I love the most about Thai friends, the way that he adjusts page to page. Mm-hmm. He's just crazy. Like, he, this guy throwing maybe 95, fast or late, then slider, maybe swing and miss, and then fast or line drive, slider, linear. Like, he's, it's amazing. It's amazing watching you just hit. Like, he's crazy. Do you know what his real name is? No, I don't. His, his real name is Ty. He can really hit France. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I'm, I'm with you on that. Every time you talk to somebody about it, is he can really hit. And so I yeah, decided no, that's course. his middle name. Of course, of course. His middle name. That's fantastic. Um, right now, what is the perfect day in the life of Julio Rodriguez? Uh, perfect day, to be honest, you just guess Before, guess get some good sleep <laughs> in the morning. Uh, obviously, yeah, breakfast, get some first watch. I love first watch. And kind of come to the field, have a, like, nice workout, mm. then go to early work. Maybe go to a training room to just stretch a little bit. Uh, get some early work, have a fun practice with the guys. And uh, once I go to the game, just try to win. If we win, it's a great day to me. Fantastic. Julio, thank you. No, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you, Julio. Thank you, Shannon. Man, it is great to have Julio on the program tonight. He is the life of the party, and we cannot wait for whenever it is his day in Seattle. Plenty more to get to here on the Cactus League Report. When we return, Mariners reliever Casey Sadler joins us on the program. What a journey he has had to get to Seattle and where he is in his career. We talked to Casey Sadler after this timeout. Now back to the Cactus League Report, live from Mariners Spring Training in Arizona. Welcome back to the Cactus League Report. Glad you're with us as always. Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill uh, joined by Mariners reliever Casey Sadler. We had a chance to watch Casey at the very tail end of last season after being acquired by the Mariners in early September uh, with the Mariners in spring training and making a really strong case to break camp with the Mariners in the opening day roster. Casey, it's it's great to uh, finally have a chance to speak with you. Uh, how are you doing today? Uh, appreciate you guys having me and uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh ready to get going, ready to get back up north and finally get to play in front of some fans this year. Absolutely. We we barely had a chance to really take in your abilities on the mound last year before the season came to a close in, in the grand scheme of things, just a handful of appearances out of the bullpen for Scott. Uh, but we're feeling like we're going to see a lot of you uh, come April 1st and beyond for the Mariners this year. Uh, tell us a little bit what it's like coming to spring training with a team that even though it was only for roughly a month, you were able, I imagine, to get a little bit of a foothold within the organization, get to know some people and not feel like in spring training, everything is brand new. That was great. You know, I think um, there is that level of kind of knowing your way around. Um, you know, there were still some people coming in that I was still trying to remember names and learn names and stuff. Cause it did happen so fast. Um, especially with the way the season was last year and how, you know, fast everything happened and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, definitely nice to come into spring training with some kind of uh, a, a base um, and then just build on those relationships that started last September. Um, and I'm having so much fun. Uh, the clubhouse is great. Um, staff's great. Um, it just, it, when you enjoy coming to work every day, it, it's, uh, it makes the days go by real quick. 
Your journey getting here is pretty amazing. When you look at everything you've been through, the different organizations. You know, I was looking at your 2019 alone. I think I saw 10 options, a DFA, a trade. I mean, you have been everywhere the past few years. What has this journey been like? Um, amazing. I, I, I don't know any other word to, to say. Um, actually, maybe a few different words. Um, pretty frustrating at times, but, um, overall just amazing. I, I, each journey, each player has their own journey. Um, you know, some have it a little more grindy than others and some, you know, have situations where they just take advantage of every opportunity that they're given and, and don't really have any speed bumps along the way. And that, you know, that's what makes this game so beautiful is there's so many different stories in the clubhouse and in baseball that, you know, each person is unique and, um, but yeah, it's been quite a ride um, all the way back from 2010. It was, uh, I feel like I'm one of the older guys around here and that's a little weird, but um, you know, the, the younger guys keep you young at heart and uh, just the amount of fun that we have coming to the field and working and, and getting better and, and looking forward to, you know, surprising some people this year. Um, it, it's been a lot of fun. Mariners reliever Casey Sadler is our guest on the Cactus League Report. Casey, along those lines, tell us about your 2018 season. You were a member of the Pirates organization. And if I understand this correctly, Casey, you spent the entire baseball season traveling around the country in an RV with your (laughs) wife, your very young daughter, and a puppy. Please tell us everything. Yeah, so that started in 18. Um, we were with Pittsburgh at the time in Indianapolis, um, not on the roster um, because of um, surgery and, and decisions that were made on that end. So uh, we were going to be spending a significant amount of time in Indianapolis and rent is really expensive at that point. And so um, just said, let's buy an RV. You know, it's something that my wife and I had talked about, you know, a little bit, just kind of joking, jokingly, and then kind of took the plunge that year and um, even took it on the road, um, when we could just to have some kind of normalcy, um, for our daughter, um, you know, being at that age where she kind of, we wanted to give her some kind of normal every day. Hey, this is your room. This is your house. Like this is where we're staying. And, and so that bled into 2019. Um, and that was a whole kind of crazy back and forth as well. I, I it's not for everybody. And looking back on it, I think it was fun, but it was also really, really hard. And honestly, if uh, my wife didn't do so well with chaos and keeping us together and, and keeping you know everything organized, I don't think we could have been able to do that. But uh, it was fun. Along the lines, Casey, of moving, this, this never happens. It never happens where a, a professional baseball player move someplace in in your instance all the way across the country and within a matter of months finds himself being acquired by that hometown team it's exactly what happened to you believe it or not tell us the story yeah this one's um i still get goosebumps and my wife does too but yeah so we have family that lived uh, my wife's sister lived in seattle for a few years and we visited her at the end of 2019 and um we have been wanting to move out of Florida, just weren't really sure where. We had checked out a couple of different places 
And uh, when we went to see her, just absolutely fell in love with the area. It's beautiful, um, nice weather, uh, minus some of the rainy days. But, um, you know, with the good comes the bad, too. But um, just absolutely loved it up there. Loved the vibe, loved the people, loved, you know, being able to get outside, um, which is something that we didn't do a whole lot of in Florida just because it was so hot. Sold our house before spring training last year. Um, had planned on just living in whatever city we were playing in until um, the end of the year and then renting while we were in Seattle until um, a house that we had planned to have built was scheduled to be done. Well, COVID kind of put a wrench in those things and that the house um, was going to be pushed back further and further. So we were not going to be able to have a place during the off season. And so we started looking into something we could get into earlier and was able to move in in May and then end up playing um, in Seattle um, in September. Um, so it's, you know, we're very blessed. We're very fortunate. Definitely a dream come true because as soon as we decided that we were going to move there, we always thought, man, how cool would it be to, you know, put on a Mariners uniform and play, you know, for your hometown. And it just to get to do that, not only once, but twice, having played in Tampa with the Rays and living in, in that area. Um, but this one's definitely special because this is where, you know, we want to make our forever home. And so to be able to play in front of that community and be involved in that community, you know, and give back to the community that you are going to be in and living and your kids are going to be growing up in is, is super special. And speaking of giving back, tell us the significance of the number 65, which you wear on your back. Yeah, so it was a number that I was given back in um, 2013 when I was added to the roster for the first time. Didn't really know of any kind of significance other than, hey, cool, it's your first big league number. You know, as the years went on, uh, a family acquaintance of ours kind of pointed us towards the significance to um, the cystic fibrosis community and what that number means for them and stands for in, in the younger kids. You know, so that's kind of where that connection started. And so from that point on, I just, I wore it to, you know, bring awareness and anybody that wanted to talk about it, I was willing to say why in coming here, didn't get an opportunity to wear that first, but then, you know, was given that opportunity. And then talking with Pax early on in spring training, because I know when he came over, um, we both wear the same number and, you know, I'm very thankful to him for giving me the opportunity to explain to him why I wear it, why I would like to continue to wear it. And, and, you know, like I said, I can't express gratitude enough um, for him to say, okay, I, I get it, you know, keep doing what you're doing, you know, and um, him basically giving me his blessing to continue to wear it. Um, so for that, I'm grateful. Um, but yeah, just moving forward, it's just about bringing awareness and um, maybe here in the near future, we can get something together and, and do some things in the, in the Seattle area. I haven't really had a chance to dive into the community too, too much. Um, up there. But um, yeah, so it kind of holds a special place, you know, in my heart. And anytime that we as baseball players can use our platform or a number or, you know, social media or whatever to, to raise awareness or to do good, I think, you know, that's that's an opportunity that, that we try to take. That's very cool. Very considerate of James and yeah. uh, incredibly thoughtful on your end, to say the least. Yeah. Casey Sadler is our guest here on the Cactus League Report. Casey, let's uh, talk a little pitching with you for a little while. You are a guy that has absolute elite spin, which is uh, so in vogue right now with uh, so many front offices looking, especially for relievers who can really spin the breaking ball. In your case, not only your curveball, but your fastball as well. Is this something that just 
comes naturally to you or is this something that you have worked in recent years to impart more spin on the ball? To be quite honest with you, I didn't even know until um, I played with Tampa. Um, being with Pittsburgh, um, in the time that I was there, it was kind of pre-Trackman, pre-Rapsodo, um, all that kind of stuff. So until going over to Tampa and then like them sitting down and saying, hey, like this is what your stuff does. This is you know what we like. This is what we see. You know, all that kind of stuff. It didn't really dawn on me that that was something that I could do really well. Um, it was more so just pitch and try to, you know, get out. So, um, but knowing that now it definitely, I understand more about myself and what I can do and what, you know, what makes me who I am as a pitcher. And, um, so to get to come and work with Trent and Woody and the whole staff here analytics team has been, you know, amazing. It's done a lot. I think we're starting to see a lot of those, um, fruits this year in spring training and, and um, just the confidence is, is through the roof right now. So I'm really excited. Um, but yeah, that just kind of came up, played the majority of my career, not even knowing, you know, how fast my, my pitches spun or, you know, how that affected the way they played. I mean, your breaking ball is such a tremendous weapon. Has it always been that for you or has it developed over time? So that is a product of 2018. Again, with the Pirates, I was a sinker slider. So I threw the two seam and then threw the slider. And then, you know, was not really having a whole lot of success with that. And so I went back to the kind of the way I threw in college as far as like pitch repertoire. Um, used to throw a cutter and a curveball along with the fastball in college and just kind of went back to what got me that opportunity. And then it just kind of took off from there. Um, so that was definitely like self brought on. I just kind of got to a point in my career where I was like, I got to figure something out because if I don't, then it's not trending in a, in a good direction. And um, so, yeah, the, the curveball is kind of an old new thing, you know, something I used to do. And then now that have had a lot of success with and have a lot of confidence in, and um, it's a lot of fun to throw too. <laughs> it looks like it. <laughs> Casey, this has been such a great time. We've been wanting to catch up with you and learn more about you, uh, what you're like on the mound and, and what your journey to this point has been like. And this has been a blast for us and our listeners as well. So, Casey, we, we really appreciate your time. And we uh, can't wait to watch you all season long in a Mariners uniform. I appreciate you guys having me. And I am super excited. Um, I haven't been this excited for a baseball season in a very, very long time. So um, I look forward to it. I look forward to seeing the fans and getting to experience that energy. And uh, hopefully we can all do our part and knock this COVID out and get as many fans as we can in the stands and, and um, just move on. Absolutely, man. He is Casey Sadler, Mariners reliever. We're back with more on the Cactus League Report right after this timeout. Now back to the Cactus League Report, live from Mariners Spring Training in Arizona. Welcome back inside the Cactus League Report. It is hard to believe it, our final Cactus League Report of 2021. Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, and who better to bring in for the final Cactus League Report of the season than the one and only Mike Blowers. Blower Power, man, it's good to be with you. It's good to see you. Uh, I feel like you have struck the perfect uh, golf broadcast balance in Arizona this year. <laughs> Thank you. I feel, I feel really good about it. <laughs> hey, uh, this has been uh, a fun spring in a lot of regards for the Mariners. Uh, we're so grateful that the spring has been able to 
go off without a hitch to this point uh, for the Mariners and, and around all of Major League Baseball. But I mean, when you start looking at guys this year that maybe we saw a little bit of last year who were excited to see a full season of uh, coming up in 2021, uh, somebody like Ty France comes to mind right away. I mean, who is it so far this year in camp that you're seeing that uh, has maybe sparked your curiosity further from what maybe you've already seen? Uh, curiosity, I, I think that one, the guy that's going to pitch tonight, Dunn, his, his velocity, the way it's jumped up, we've seen him at 95, 96 miles an hour. Um, I think his breaking ball has been sharper. That battle for the number six spot in the rotation, where that's going to go. Margavichis is also throwing the ball well. He looks good, but Dunn, I think, is the one for me that um, I'm really curious to see with this velocity. Um, I get a chance to speak to P. Woodworth tonight, and I'm going to ask him about that, just where this velocity is going to go and what a benefit that's going to be for Dunn and where he's at, I think, in his growth. My, my suspicion will, because he can see that radar gun, too, he's going to be more aggressive with his fastball and the strike zone, which would be a plus for him. Uh, the other one is, you and I talked about it the other day on TV, is Evan White. Um, I was kind of curious to see what's going on. He made the big jump from double-A last year, certainly had some struggles. Um, we know that when he puts the bat on the ball, it jumps off his bat. And we have seen that this spring. And I just feel like the last week or so, he just looks like he's more more ready now than he was last year at the end of camp. So that's kind of exciting. And I hope that he can finish up strong here and take that momentum right into the season. Because I think more than anybody, it'll be important for him to get off to a pretty good start just, just to keep people from talking about it and let mm-hmm. him go. We know he's a great defender. He runs the base as well, but he's going to have to hit. Um, long home run the other day off the batter's side, too. So I think those two jump out at me right now. You know, I'm curious, Gary, we've talked about the number six starter between uh, Dunn and Margavichis, but to me it's it's so hard to decide which direction you go from the standpoint of right now you feel probably better about Margavichis consistently being able to go call it five innings, right? Dunn seems more susceptible to things unraveling, whether that be through getting hit or giving out walks, which he's had a hard time with. But the stuff, the pure uptick in stuff that we've seen from Dunn, and we were talking with Justin Hollander a week ago, and they, they're they over the moon, not just with what the radar gun is saying, but what Dunn has done this offseason to make him in this position to possibly win this job. Yeah, and if I were to map out top storylines of this camp, the Dunn fastball velocity is up there. It's one of the top storylines of this camp. You know, And not to downplay the battle for the number six spot, but going into this season... I feel like starting pitching depth is really going to be tested, and not just with the Mariners, but throughout baseball. So while we're talking about these two guys battling, I feel like we're going to see them both in the rotation at some point. Both are going to get their starts. We're going to see LJ Newsom. We're going to see Logan Gilbert. We're going to see the depth really get tested. I think the best news of all, knocking on wood here, is the Mariners' rotation has gone through. They've stayed healthy. They've gotten their pitches in. You know, it's kind of a boring thing to say, but if you can get through the spring healthy into the regular season, I think I feel like that's the number one goal. And just going into this season with so many unknowns when it comes to innings pitched and what guys are going to be able to do and how far do you want to extend guys, I just feel like the healthiest rotation is going to be near – Maybe not the best rotation, but one of the top rotations, if you can just stay healthy. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing, too, with that is whoever wins the job out of camp doesn't mean that it has to stay that way. Yeah. It can change for sure. And then to your point, I was thinking about Sheffield uh, more than anybody else. Because of his improved command, Gary, I think he is somebody that can consistently pitch seven innings, 
And as you're moving along, if he is really dealing, and you're, now it's seven, eight innings for him, at some point, when do you back him off and maybe skip a start? And then who's ever the odd man out is the one that fills that part of the rotation. We can see some of that going along, too. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much they'll try to protect Marco. Probably not as much. But the younger starters, I think that there's going to be opportunities in there. It's going to be a challenge this yeah. year for Scott and the staff. I mean, it is going to be a daily challenge. And not only with starters, with relievers as well. You know, you don't want, especially in the early in the season, I don't think you want to see them go three days in a row or, you know, three out of four, something like that. It's going to be a challenge to manage the staff. Got about five minutes left with Mike Blowers here in the Cactus League Report. We're taking you up to first pitch. Mariners and the Chicago Cubs. We'll hear from Scott Service in the pregame show, his conversation with Rick Riz. Blow, we know that this year in minor league baseball, there will be some some rule changes going on, some experiments. It's the test kitchen this year, uh, all the way from uh, single A up to triple A. We know that they will be limiting the shift. There will be the pitch clock like there has been. Uh, the bases will be bigger at some levels. Uh, what is it when you think about where this game could be in two, three, four, five years of the major league level that they're working on in the minors? What is it of that they are testing right now that intrigues you the most? It's a great question. Um, I don't. I'm not as concerned, and I know that you know we've talked to a number of major league pitchers about. The time clock. I'm not. I think that if because it's starting at the lower levels, by the time those guys get here in a few years, they they won't even think twice about it. I think that is something that will happen and will continue to keep the pace of play going for them. Um, I forgot electronic strike zone. By the way, electronic strike zone. Okay. I think that the other one to me is where are we going with the shift? You know, they're they're going to have guys. I think keep their feet on the infield, that's that's a big help because now you won't have that second baseman that's playing shallow right field that we see on a nightly basis. So there will be some room for some hits to get through the infield if you hit the ball firmly and get it past him because he doesn't have all that range now. Um, I'm curious to see where that goes. Or are they just going to go two and two? You have to have mm-hmm. two on one side and two on the other. Um, you know, I think that a lot of the, the – Baseball ops guys are just <laughs> losing their mind over that, as you know. Sure. Um, so I'll be curious to see where that, probably more than any of it, mm-hmm. where that part of it is really going to go and where it ends up in a year or two from now. You're Kyle Seeger. Would you rather have only two guys on the right side of the infield, but one of them is allowed to be in the outfield grass? Or would you rather have three defenders allowed on the right side but they all have to stay on the dirt two on the right side you can and you can play them as far back okay. as you want just because i feel that if, if kyle squares it up it, the guy is still going to be limited but he can square it up with three guys and that's just one more glove that he's going to have to yeah. get it past so i think for myself I, i'm fine with i'm fine without the second baseman playing out in right field against kyle as long as there's just two over there and right. I, think that, I think that's probably what kyle would pick also just because you just don't want that other glove over there yeah because you could hit it 120 miles an hour but you could still hit it right at a guy yeah and there's a, a much greater chance if there's three than two yeah absolutely so I, th- I think that's probably the one for me and um you know I, i'd be curious actually kyle would be somebody that's great to talk about just because of the changes he's made mm-hmm. going into last year and how much that helped him hitting the ball the other way. And it was all because of the shift. He just he just he got tired of beating his head against that. And he said, I have to change some things now. And he's done that. And now they're going to change things back, possibly. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> Gary, which one, of the, uh, which one of the rule changes intrigues you the most? Or the potential bases, changes, I should say. Uh, well, several. Uh, but the bases, I, I find very interesting. I, I think it's good for safety, especially at first base. It probably should have been something that happened a long time ago. But I am curious to see... Uh, how much that affects 
infield base hits, stolen bases. Will that have any impact? I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see how that plays out. I, I, and I'm glad they're isolating everyone at different levels so right. we can get some firm data. I mean, experimenting with a couple of different things at one level. I agree with you sense. on the safety part of it. I, I don't see how that is going to encourage guys to steal more than they already would or wouldn't. Well, I think, I mean, that's the question, right? How much does an extra right. three inches of a base make? I and it mean, may not. And it, it may not. Yeah. But we also see how close all these plays are. Um you know, I think every when they. I think they only add a benefit to it, to be honest with you. Over the course of the summer, is there going to be a couple guys that maybe get in there because of that that benefit of that? But more than anything else, they'll be able to keep their hand on the base and maybe not come off as often. And that's where you're going to see the change. So put handles on the bases if you can. <laughs> I'm all for that. That's a great idea. You should try that, Aaron. Now that's a rule change we yeah. should talk about. We should definitely pitch that. Yeah. I think so. Blows great being with you, man. Thanks for having me. The one and only Mike Blowers. Uh, we're so happy you could be with us here tonight on the Cactus League Report. Uh, remember, if you want to hear anything uh, for the second time, any interviews we had on the show, or maybe you missed part of it and want to hear the entire interview, you can find it on Mariner's Pod. You can find that wherever you find your podcast. For Gary Hill, I'm Aaron Goldsmith. We've got the pregame show coming right up.